I wanted to continue the exploration from uh, last time about bringing uh, mindfulness into daily life practice, really bringing um, and strengthening mindfulness right in the middle of our daily lives. And what I'd like to do uh, today is to, uh, since it's the second part, I want to review a little bit, which is handy because some of you weren't here last time. I want to review some of the main themes from last time and then uh, invite a little bit of your own explorations. How many people who were here last time in the last week gave a little more attention than usual to daily life practice? Great. So want to hear from some of you about what you found in the week. That would be the second part. And then the third part, I want to talk in a little more depth about some of the, uh, the more inner ways of working with daily life practice, particularly in terms of intensifying our awareness of body and heart and mind. And that's where I'll get into some of the themes that, that, you, were, that you were exploring. So that, those are the three parts. And I guess this is, uh, I enjoyed reading about the silent mind the, on Saturday, the radiant mind on Sunday, and then asking, well, what do we do on Monday? <laughs> what happens on Monday? Because that's, that's where, where we take over. And uh, a lot of what I uh, looked at last time was, was particularly how it's really a um, great challenge for, for us to really have our daily lives be full, that we can have the experience of sitting in meditation and being quiet and we can have wonderful experiences on retreats. And then um, sometimes when we uh, go home, we can feel a little bit lost, you know. And I know I had experiences when I was uh, first practicing where I'd experience on, on a retreat uh, more peace than I'd ever known, more understanding, more silent, radiant mind and heart. And then I remember at least a few times I would go home and within six hours would get into a fight with my roommate, you know. And has anyone had similar experiences? <laughs> so it, it really, uh, it, was, it was poignant, but it really, uh, sometimes, you know, I felt and maybe you felt like, oh, I've been in paradise and now I've been kicked out, you know, kicked out into this, into what the Buddha sometimes called the dusty, crowded world. <laughs> you know? And so, uh, and yet I think for probably most, most of us, many of us, certainly, I think there is almost a collective intention to make it work. You know, that, that we have an intuition that we want to live in the world. You know, that a few, you know, there may be valuable at times to be on longer retreats, is very valuable. And it may even be valuable to be a monk or a nun for a certain period of time. But I know for myself, I made a certain kind of uh, decision over 20 years ago that my vocation was to make this practice come alive in the midst of this. Um, um, I was I, midst of this culture. I was going to. I was going to say. I was, I was, let me just say. Uh, give it the benefit of the doubt and call it this mysterious culture. <laughs> so, this interesting, promising, challenging, weird culture. And, and so that has, that has room for us to practice, you know. It's beautiful. It has room for us to get together. I mean, I, I traveled to the former Soviet Union 
uh, in the early 90s, and uh, actually the first time when it was still the Soviet Union, I met people who were studying meditation and yoga who had been persecuted in the 1970s and 80s for doing exactly what we're doing, who had actually been in prison for that. So, I mean, we should count our blessings in many ways for being able to meet freely. Um, and yet we, we have, I think, this intuition that we want to make the practice uh, real in our daily lives. And I think it's one of the great challenges, spiritual challenges of our times, to figure out how to do that and to make it happen. And it takes, you know, it takes a certain amount of uh, great creativity. I mean, so what I'm going to be, uh, I think what I was really talking about last time was particularly the importance of clarity of intention and effort and creativity in terms of mindfulness and daily life. So I think those are probably the three core themes. Clear intention, strong effort, and a lot of creativity. So, um, and yet it is, it is hard to uh, do this in our culture. You know, that our culture is sometimes feels dusty and crowded or speedy and busy. Um, I'll just read something which uh, you, may, you may have heard uh, uh, from my uh, teaching partner, Diana Winston. She, she wrote this about the speediness of the culture with, we, which, with which we have to deal. She actually wrote a little article which was published in the Buddhist Peace Fellowship Journal called Speed. And this is what she said, kind of stream of consciousness. I don't have time to write letters, read books, visit my friend, play with my little brother, kiss, touch, sigh, dance, relate, eat ice cream, make music, cook, pray, smell, meditate, take a walk, my God, make it all stop. I don't have time and it's running out and I'm running fast and furiously and I want to stop. Ouch, it's painful. Why won't it stop? Can't you make it stop? My God, what's wrong with this country? Have we all gone crazy? Are we insane? We've lost touch. We've lost touch. We've got to stop this endless running about. All I want to do is slow down, just crawl into bed and rock myself to sleep. Not this craziness, not this crazy running about. I am so tired. Please, somebody, you've got to help me stop. <laughs> Um, some of us have experienced that at moments, right? <laughs> or something like it. And you know, so it's a challenge, you know, and we have to recognize that. So in the um, last time, we shared some of the things which really support our daily life practice. And we can generally categorize those into um, two areas. One of them are the kind of uh, inner uh, practices or individual practices that we do that really help our mindfulness. And we shared a lot of uh, notes last time, which was beautiful. And I want to hear, I really look forward to hearing a lot more about uh, uh, what really helps us. You know, I talked, I talked about how some people in some of my meditation groups, they, they write notes on their hands, they wear jewelry, they wear these little red threads, they, you know, we, uh, people are buddies, they call each other up on the phone, uh, people put up signs in their house, they put up artwork, you know, you put post-it signs on something to help you be aware, you know, we mentioned uh, all sorts of things that help people help to be a little more mindful in daily life, you know, in addition to the usual, which is to meditate and be part of a group and get support and so forth. And, and we could also talk about the kinds of social support, on the other hand, that really help, such, such as being in a group, uh, being uh, part of a, ret uh, uh, of a retreat, uh, 
Other ones would be, you know, having a buddy. You know, there, I mentioned, I think, that in one of the dedicated practitioner programs here, people work with each other and they, some of them call each other up every evening to ask about their practice. You know? Can you imagine, you know, think of, you know, what, so, so I think this is where we get creative. You know, what kinds of social support help us to be more mindful, you know? Put, you know, whatever, put uh, a Buddha on your dashboard. People do that, right? <laughs> How many Buddhas are on dashboards here? <laughs> you know? Uh, or, um, you know, if, you, if you're in a work situation where there's another meditator, you know, you can, you can find ways to support each other. I mentioned how I work with uh, several afternoons a week. I work with a person who is helping me with and, and collaborating on a lot of projects. And we've taken to, uh, we work like five or six hours, three times a week, three afternoons a week. And we, um, we try to sit about 10 minutes every two hours. You know, and we ring bells and we try to set a, set a whole atmosphere of mindfulness, you know. So think, you know, think of what, what would it take, you know, or when I've been on the Buddhist Peace Fellowship um, uh, board, we would have meetings and we would have certain group agreements that helped us be mindful in our speech, that helped us bring our practice to our speech. Or um, when I've worked with uh, groups with the Buddhist Peace Fellowship base program, we would typically have guidelines for our work together. This is the beauty of if you actually can be in a group where people work with uh, uh, guidelines which are aiming to have mindfulness. And maybe in the long run, maybe can you imagine this culture in 50 years with workplaces being full of mindfulness? You know, mindfulness supports at least some of them, at least in California. <laughs> and also Miami and Atlanta. <laughs> which are, uh, but can you imagine, and it, it might look like something like this. this. These are the agreements that one group that I was part of that we made for each other in our interactions together. We agreed to um, make a clear commitment to be in the group, use I statements and speak from the heart as much as possible, appreciate and respect the others in the group, clarify group dynamics, try to bring mindfulness to group dynamics including conflict, Agree to err and attempt to resolve difficult feelings with another person in the spirit of love and wisdom. Cultivate active listening. Make a commitment to learn from others. Uh, generally give advice only when another has asked for it. <laughs> you know, that's a good one. Uh, keep in mind basic intentions. Commit to practicing mindfulness during the group, during the group time. Look deeply into our true nature. These are just ones that we agreed on. Be aware of the effects of one's words and actions on others. Be willing to detach from fear. That's a good one. Cultivate qualities of tolerance, gentleness, acceptance, patience, generosity, forgiveness, as well as being humorous and playful. <laughs> so imagine that your family or your group or your workplace was guided by those uh, principles. There'd be a tremendous support for, for mindfulness. Um, so these were, these were a lot of where we went last time. And I think maybe, I think what maybe we'd all do before asking you for some of what you found, maybe let me talk a little bit further 
about some of the particular kinds of inner work. And then I think I'll open it up uh, maybe at the end and ask what people found. Um, because I think that there's something that we need to do that somehow makes mindfulness uh, really our own. That, that there's, mindfulness is a strange word. It's kind of a Victorian translation of sati. But there's something that we, that we each need to find in our own way how being present to life gets stronger, comes alive. And I think we can ask really, it's really asking, what gives me the energy to want to be more aware? Why do I want to be more aware at all? You know, it certainly sometimes makes me more aware of suffering. Why do I want to be more aware? What really energizes me to want to practice, to be mindful? And I think it's really vital for us to be in touch with what gives us that kind of energy to be aware. And I, I was thinking of some things that really um, have helped me be aware. Or ta- I've talked with a few friends. What helps, you know, we could even ask ourselves, what helps you to be aware? What gives you that energy? Because we need a lot of energy, don't we? We need a lot of energy to be mindful in our daily lives. One of the sources of the energy for awareness is actually suffering. You know, a lot of people come to mindfulness and practice because we've suffered a lot. You know, because there's a lot of suffering and it's almost like we have to work through the suffering or it's going to be overwhelming. You know, and it could be personal suffering, it could be an event in our lives. And sometimes actually that working through the suffering, we, we somehow we know we have to bring more awareness. We have to see, you know, it could be relationships. I want to see the patterns that lead to these dysfunctional uh, dynamics, you know, after the second time, the third time, the whatever time. I want to see what I'm suffering. I really want to know. I want to know what's there. I want to know how my mind works, how my heart works. And and that can come out of suffering. There also can be tremendous energy just from wanting to know. Wanting to know and even sometimes being inspired by, by awe or by mystery. You know, I want to know what the nature of the mind is. This mysterious, this consciousness, the fact that we have all these moving locations of consciousness, all sitting in the same room here, sharing consciousness together, you know. And trees, do they have consciousness? And they're over there, and we're here, and we're aware, and sometimes we're not aware, and we're unconscious sometimes, and there's life and death, and don't you want to figure it out a little bit? Don't you want to, <laughs> maybe not figure it out, but don't you want to know a little bit about what, you know, what is a deeper way of understanding this mysterious fact of being here conscious? I do. I mean, it's, it's, it can give tremendous energy for being mindful, just to want to know more, go deeper, you know, to, to not, uh, not stay with the more superficial parts of our lives. Some of us also, we, we have energy, we have energy for mindfulness because we've tasted something. You know, we've tasted some quality of love or of awareness or of peace or of openness to nature or openness to another person or openness to ourselves. We've tasted something and we know what's possible and we want to have that possibility be more and more there in our lives. And that can give tremendous energy for practice. You know, because we know that something's possible. We don't think that uh, we've tasted something very deep and we know that it's sometimes there and sometimes not there. But the beauty of the way we seem to work is that if we've tasted something deep, it's accessible. 
sometimes we have to be reminded. But any deep experience we've had is accessible to us. We can, you know, we can, we can remember it. You, know, you might even ask now, what are the deeper experiences that, and are they, can I feel them so they're near me and inspiring me? We can ask that question. And sometimes we get energized for practice because we've met someone. Maybe we have a friend who is a little further down the path than us, and they inspire us, and they, they say, you know, and they can give us tremendous energy. Maybe we know, well, that person has really made some incredible development, and I know that that person is no more talented than me. Mm-hmm. I know that. You know, that per- I, I know that person's shadow stuff, you know, how that person is, et cetera, right? And that person is not different than me, but look at how that person's developed. I think we do that a lot when we um, work with teachers, right? That's why I think it's, there's some advantages to having Western teachers. You know, Asian teachers sometimes mysterious. It's harder to, um, you know, people who come from the Asian culture, sometimes it's harder to have a sense, I guess once they live here for a while, then we, then we know that they're everyday people. But I think maybe there, there are advantages of actually being able to see the shadow side of some of our teachers because it makes us, it can give us encouragement. Oh. They're, they're kind of like me. You know, they're not special people who have you know, some elite right to being aware. You know, but rather, it's, it's uh, something that we all can move into. So that can, give us, that can give us energy. And somehow, we have to each ask ourselves, um, you know, why do I want to be mindful? You, know, it might be, you might give an answer that is about something like that, because I want to be like I know I can be. But we have to each ask that, why be mindful? Because intention is so vital to making mindfulness uh, deeper in daily life. Intention and effort, and it has to come from something very genuine. And it might not be even the language of mindfulness. Maybe something that we have to be creative and kind of rewrite. You know, some of you may hear the definition of mindfulness, and it may be kind of interesting. You know, like I found one wonderful uh, understanding of mindfulness. Okay, what is mindfulness? Mindfulness signifies presence of mind, attentiveness to the present. It has the characteristics of not wobbling, not floating away from the object. Its function is absence of confusion or non-forgetfulness. And so that's a very clear, precise account of mindfulness. It may not inspire you. It may, you know, for me, it's inspired me. But you may need to find the count of mindfulness and translate it into your own terms. It may mean something like, I want to be present to my heart moment to moment and come from my heart in my, in my life. And so I think there's, there's a way that we really need to be creative even in saying what mindfulness is and make it speak to ourselves. Find some language which, which speaks to us. And so I, one of my favorite... Uh, definitions of mindfulness I learned from uh, Gil Fronsdell, who teaches here sometimes. Many of you know Gil. And Gil had, uh, is a Buddhist scholar, and he told me once that the Chinese character for mindfulness is made up of two characters. It's a kind of a complex character made up of two individual characters. One character signifies present moment, and the other one is a composite of one of, one of the uh, pieces is heart, and the other one is uh, roof or home. If you put that all together, it means what is mindfulness? 
It's making the present moment a home for your heart. Making the present moment a home for your heart. So something like that, that speaks to me. You know, that speaks to me. And there's some, some way that we need to appropriate the uh, way of understanding mindfulness so it really speaks to us. That's the part of the creative part of this. So you really can animate you and say, oh, I want to be mindful, not because I read in a book, because there's some way that I've really made sense of it in my own language. You know, it might be that I want to be present to life moment to moment, or I want to come to each moment out of love, or I want to be really here for what's happening. Or I may want, mindfulness may mean to really be able to cut through the ways that I'm kind of at war with myself and at war with the world. Or it might be to, um, mindfulness may be, especially I want to really be present and work through all my conditioning. And so there's some way that I think we each have to find our language. And this is important for, for generating the intention and the effort that's necessary to be mindful in daily life. And we'll talk, you know, I'll, when we open it up, we'll talk some more about techniques. But I think this is kind of more of the inner work that we do. And the other, the last aspect of the inner work that I wanted to mention is that I think that we each have to ask ourselves, what is my thread for having mindfulness be more and more present in my daily life. And I think that there are three main threads. And you can ask yourself, which of these appeals to me? I think for many of us, there's a very important thread in being with our body in daily life, that the body can be an incredibly important uh, way of staying mindful. And I'll talk about that in a moment. The heart can also be a thread that is the one that is most present for some of us, that we can say, I, I want to be present to my heart moment to moment. And there's a way that that can lead to a kind of mindfulness. And the third is to really come at mindfulness more through my mind, more through what we would call, um, it might be by focusing on the wisdom of the moment, it might, might be by actually uh, watching the dynamics of the mind and understanding them. And I think there are those three ways are the main ways that we have that we have a thread going that can get, uh, as it were, more connected with more of the moments of our life. Because I think the challenge for us is to find something that really helps us be present and gives us a thread almost uh, more and more through the day. And I think these you can ask yourself, do I feel more drawn? And maybe there's something I've forgotten that that also that also could be a thread, maybe intuition or something like that. But uh, for me, these seem to be the main ones in my experience and from talking with people, uh, the body, the heart, and the mind. And I want to talk a little bit about each of those and then, and then open things up. Uh, for, for me, the body has been probably the main thread. And maybe all of them have been important, but the body has been increasingly important. And maybe it's from being conditioned to be fairly mental, that the body was such an antidote. <laughs> being aware of my body was such an antidote. And, you know, some of my friends from 10 or 15 years ago, when I tell them I'm now co-teaching, I, I uh, uh, typically teach also on Fridays, and I tell them I'm, I'm co-teaching the main class at Spirit Rock that emphasizes bodily-based spiritual practice. And they just say, great. <laughs> uh, because I think I was really raised to be pretty mental, and, and uh, uh, many of us were, right? Many of, many of us had that background. And I remember that I was uh, 
talking with John Travis, who along with Sylvia has, have been my main two mentors. I was talking with John a few years ago, and we we're really talking about daily life practice. And John, I, I asked John, you know, well, gosh, you know, look, you know, look at a monastery, see how much support they have there for, for awareness and mindfulness, and how do we do this in daily life? And, uh, you know, look at these people who, they just live in a monastery and every symbol and sign and gesture and everything is pointing towards being aware. And, and you know, we live in this difficult world, so how do we do it? And he, he, he said something to me which really electrified me. He said, let your body be your monastery. You know, let your body be your monastery. Let your body be that thread which continues, which keeps your awareness present. And I, I took that totally to heart. And it's really been a, a core tool for me. And it, you know, I had to, um, I had to practice more to really have the awareness of the body get stronger. And I think there are a lot of tools and techniques that we can use. You know, the the uh, Obviously, the beginning mindfulness practices are very significant. Doing a lot of walking meditation. I remember when I was first practicing, I so loved walking meditation because I was a graduate student at the time. You know, I was, so I, would, I was living in Boston. I would just joyfully walk through Boston doing mindfulness practice. Anytime I was walking, anytime I'm walking, I'm doing mindfulness practice. Walking meditation. You know? Every time I walk, I don't need to think about anything between. And I didn't have a car, so I walked a lot. Um, and I would just uh, walk all the time, and I loved it because I was really practicing mindfulness, and it was a kind of a grounding in the body. And when I wasn't doing walking meditation, I was mostly being a graduate student, which meant reading books, <laughs> you know, and writing. So it was it was very very helpful. So there there are a set of you know there are all sorts of tools that I think many of us know to strengthen the body awareness, whether it's uh, yoga practice or uh, developing. Uh, just body awareness in nature. For myself, I've often, uh, in retreats and in practice, taken, just been aware of my body. It's really been my primary object, I think, over the years. Being aware of body sensations and my body has really been my primary me- meditation object, counting the breath as that. And I think it just strengthens things. And it can get to a point sometimes where the awareness of the body just gets so strong that it's, it's just there as kind of default consciousness. And then it's really possible to have it be a thread through the day. So I try to practice. I go to meetings. I just try to be aware of my body when I'm meeting. It's a wonderful tool to use when you're talking with people. Stay in your body. It helps tremendously with mindfulness. And maybe we can share some other, other practices that really help us to be in our body. But I think over time, and some of you may be drawn to this, the body can be this wonderful, I'm using the metaphor of a thread, the awareness of the body can just be there. And it helps us stay in the present moment. It helps us uh, not be so caught in thinking. It's really interesting to have body awareness be very strong and be at a meeting. It's kind of like I'm here, and I'm in, out, and like the meeting's going on, like this buzzing a little bit at a higher level. And uh, it's wonderful, of course, when people can also be aware of the body, their, their bodies, and then it's. But it's a very it's a it's a way of grounding even when other people are not necessarily grounded, and it's very important for mindfulness because you know when we get into the purely mental world it can, it can sometimes get very reactive right, and it's just it's a it's a protector to be in the body protects us from being so reactive. So the second um, the second area is the area of the heart, and for some of us, being with the heart, 
is our threat of mindfulness. You know, you may, many of us may say, I want to really be with my heart as much as possible in the present moment. You know, and I, I was thinking of um, some examples of that, uh, that that have inspired me. Some of you know um, the, well, in, in Hindu tradition, there's sometimes a continual devotional prayer in the heart. Do you know that, you know, many of you have seen the Gandhi film. You know, that Gandhi just used to repeat Ram all the time as a kind of internal way of staying with his heart moment to moment. And you, those of you who have seen the film know that Gandhi, when he was shot by an assassin, his only word that came out a split second later was Ram. Was that presence of the heart, even in that circumstance, that was there so strongly as a thread that it came out like that. You know, where I think of um, in Russian Orthodox tradition, there's the prayer of the heart, just the constant prayer that's kept in the heart that, that people try to keep going. Where I think of um, many of you maybe have even met or seen uh, Julia Butterfly Hill, you know, who, who lives, lives around here. And I was very moved by a very simple thing she said. She said once that something that she learned when she was up in the tree for, for that length of time was she learned she wanted every action to come out of love. That is a kind of mindfulness that's grounded in the heart, having the heart be the thread which lets us be present. You know, and then there, there are different techniques that can help us do that. One of them is, is what we were talking about before. It's to keep for many of us, it's actually to keep our physical awareness of the heart area. That can be a very powerful technique, and just to have that with us. It's kind of mindful. It's, it's also it's a mindfulness of the body that also is a mindfulness of the heart. You know, or it's you know it could be something like a, a phrase that's repeated over, and like like Gandhi's Ram, or you know the way we do the metta practice here, the loving kindness practice, is a way of activating the heart. You know, of having loving kindness be more of our normal consciousness. Sylvia has that developed to a very high level, as, as, as we know, right? That, that there's just a basic presence at the heart that's there more often than not, right? I mean, I, I feel that from her. You know, and it's amazing to, you know, I've sometimes uh, sat in on uh, interviews that Sylvia has led with people, you know, at retreats, and just to watch that quality of presence and really learn from her to just, to really, uh, it's kind of like, a phrase I like to use about these threads is like we lead, we lead with the heart or we lead with our bodies. You know, it's like, where do we lead? What, what, you know, really, how do we lead ourselves to mindfulness? And so there, so metta, loving kindness practice is a wonderful practice to cultivate kind of an awareness in the present. And we sometimes get into a kind of a debate about is loving kindness practice just a concentration practice because we repeat these phrases like, you know, may I be happy, may I be safe, may I be healthy, may I be free, whatever, may I be loving. And most of you know these practices, and we sometimes think of it as a concentration practice, but I think it's really a mindfulness practice, because if we're really intending to come from our heart, like in the metta practice or just in some other way, it's mindfulness because we notice what's, what's not coming from our heart, right? We notice what's in the way. We notice what's there otherwise. That's mindfulness. You know, that's mindfulness. If we intend to come from the heart, it's necessarily a kind of mindfulness practice. And the last area is really to how many of us really lead, we can lead in our daily lives, maybe with a 
mindfulness of our mind, you might say, of how our minds work. It can be this great curiosity about how our minds work moment to moment. You know, and it's, it's an incredible way to bring mindfulness. It's a curiosity. It could be a curiosity about how can I be present? What are my patterns that lead me to be reactive? It's something that also has been really important for me to be in situations and actually study how, I'm, uh, how my mind's working. You know, okay, I'm really being judgmental right now, and I don't like it, but what's happening? How can I really notice that? You know, I was talking with a friend yesterday, and we were talking about the past, the, how we can really be aware of our minds, even when we don't like at all what's happening. You know, it's kind of yucky, right? I'm in a yucky mind state. Can I still be mindful? Can I still be present to it and watch it? And there can be this way that some of us are drawn to have awareness of our mind patterns be our threat of awareness. You know, I know for myself, I'm especially interested in how I lose it. Some of you may choose also to have this be a big focus because it <laughs> it's up to you. Uh, but it's really, it, I think that our meditation practice accelerates tremendously when we start taking our ways of losing it and even our moments of distress as starting points for trying to watch our minds. Because it actually, if we do that, it actually tells us that we have a lot of faith in ourselves. That a, that a difficult moment is not a panic moment, right? That's what it's telling us. But it's something, I have enough faith in myself so I can watch my anger. I can watch my judgments. I can watch how I lose it with my boss, right? I can watch that and I can really study it and have it be something really fascinating for me and, and watch those patterns. And we need support for that, you know? We need support. But it can be, for many of us, this can be a really powerful thread in which we just want to watch how our minds are working throughout the day. And it's a, it's a, it's a, wonderful, uh, it's a wonderful way to uh, have a thread because it brings tremendous insight. I think all of these threads, what I'm calling the body thread, the, the um, heart thread, and the, the mindfulness of mind thread, I think maybe we probably do some of all of them, but each, all of them, but each of us lead in a certain way uh, with them. And I think we have to really ask ourselves um, how we do that and, and where are we drawn. Now, there was a, I wanted to read a poem that, that sort of summarized this, which is, I hope this isn't too pretentious because it's a poem that I wrote. Um, <laughs> I've been told that that's sometimes poor form, but... <laughs> yeah, you would have I could have said it's a anonymous poet, but it's... <laughs> It's, it's, it's a poem about finding our own ways of entering in, you could say of entering into awareness. It's called Open Any Door. Open any door of the heart. There are so many. Enter with your fear and your friend, with every glance, the door that opens with every glance or quick word, or the trees in prayer, even the shirt on your back that you don't see, the floor of old wood that you step on, doors open with them too. Then you go in, into the one world where all things have tears and kindness for you and you for them. So maybe we could, um, I'll, st- I'll stop there. And I think I'd just like to really invite people especially to share what's either, either a question or a comment about anything I said or something that really has helped you 
particularly in the last week, or, or more generally, if you weren't here last week, to really uh, come to mindfulness, to come to awareness in daily life. So thank you. So was that bad form? No. <laughs> so what, what, what did you find out? What did you discover in looking at mindfulness? Please. Yeah. I just read the mindfulness part of it wasn't so difficult. Where you paying attention was easy for me, but the immediate judgments and tendency that came yeah. with it were where the painful stuff started. And yeah. So, you know, coming back to the little, the labeling, the just I'm driving, not I'm driving, I have the traffic kinds of yeah. observations brought a huge sense of, um, of freedom and. Yeah. That's beautiful. Um, so it's really, we could say that there are two steps there that you're saying. It's actually, I think, it's the more difficult step to be mindful. <clears throat> Once we can be mindful, it's not totally easy, but I think we can do it okay. The, I think it's, as I said last time, the hardest thing is not to be mindful, it's to remember to be mindful. That's much harder. And if we can remember, and that's why we need all these supports to remember. That's why it helps to have friends, to go to groups, to put things on our walls, to put, write things in our hand, to wear jewelry that reminds us, etc. So you were being mindful. You were, you were. I think if we can actually be mindful, we're eighty percent there. And you, so you were eighty percent there to start with. <laughs> Very good. A lot of the time, and then then it's a matter of okay, I'm mindful. Uh-oh, I'm, it's not altogether pleasant what I have to be mindful of. And so I think you were being uh, very skillful. We have these different tools to be aware. And it's harder in daily life than on a retreat or in a sitting here, although it's not altogether easy sitting either. So we have the tools, we have the labeling, we have that sense of there was kind of a letting go of it having to be a certain way, right? It's a spaciousness that, that was... That is freeing, you know. You know, okay, horrible traffic. I'm judging. I'm going into this tendency. Oh, this is what I'm doing. And by the recognition of that, sometimes we can let it go, which is what you did. It's beautiful, isn't it? <laughs> but, but I think if you get to that first step, the second step isn't so far away. It's harder to get to the first step. Please, yeah. Find myself during the day, and I notice it a lot in, when I'm driving. Yeah. I take a deep breath, yeah. and I focus on that space before I breathe out again. Yeah. Yeah. And if I inhale, I do that, and an exhale, I do the same thing. I just kind of focus there for a split second. Yeah. Or if I'm sitting, I do the same thing. Yeah. It's happening uh, kind of spontaneously. Yeah. Did everyone hear? Everyone hear? It's, it's a great technique, isn't it? It's, it's also related to the spaciousness. It's kind of all of these, what mindfulness does is it breaks the momentum of the kind of uh, automatic experiencing that we, that we often are in. 
And what you're doing is a beautiful way just to break that momentum, just have a moment of spaciousness. And it can often be quite enough to be aware, isn't it? So, thank you. Please, yeah. Yeah. Um, I wasn't here last week. Okay. Really, um, I like the three threads. But what I'm thinking about more is what you said is the first step that comes. And for me, the word I use is curiosity. Yeah. So how do we continually develop curiosity? And for me, I'm thinking of what I can do in terms of indifference. Mm-hmm. Is it for me that... When I'm not curious, it's I'm numbing out. I yeah. don't want to see it. I don't yeah. want to know there. I'm just going to stay in this numbed out yeah. place. Yeah. So just I'm curious to hear about about right about about um, kind of arising curiosity. You're curious about curiosity. <laughs> 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 yeah, it's it's a wonderful question, isn't it? It's, uh, I'm curious what I'm going to say. <laughs> the, the, it, it's really about, uh, it's really about the, uh, how do we have that energy of openness? And, and I guess we can ask on the other side, how, what, what makes us shut down? You know, what makes us not curious? And, uh, that, that's a good way to ask the question, because if we're not actually curious, it, we're probably shutting down for some reason. And it probably has to do because of some kind of uh, pain that we're afraid of, of experiencing. So there's usually something there that we don't want to experience. You know, it could be, you know, it could be something like boredom or irritation, or it could be something deeper. You know, if I'm so... And, we, and, of course, we carry a certain amount of that just forward in our lives. We have a certain amount of pain that we've accumulated from the past, right? So I think that, uh, I think, I think that in my experience, certainly, uh, this isn't the totality of my response, but I know that part of opening up that sense of curiosity and wanting to know and eagerness comes from facing a few of our demons. You know, it comes from facing some of our suffering and being able to be with it for time. And it kind of frees us up, doesn't it? So this is, this is a piece, you know. It's, it's um, part, of, part of developing curiosity is uh, being willing to open to suffering at times. You know, that, so that's a piece. And I think, I think uh, just what comes, maybe I'll ask others what they, they would say also. But another uh, part which comes to mind is, is having access to those uh, wonderful experiences that we've had. I think sometimes we lose access to our most wonderful, beautiful experiences, you know. Uh, I know they've done surveys of people who've, about their mystical experiences, and a lot of people forget them, you know, have them, and then they, they don't remember. 20 years later, they don't really remember. They're not operative. Or, or also the same thing is true of childhood experiences. We've all had these amazing childhood experiences, a lot of which we're, we're not in touch with. You know, and sometimes when we do meditation, we actually go into that territory and we get reminded of the wonder of, you know, seeing the full moon for the first time when we were, and knowing it when we were two years old or something. You know, so I think there's a way of, part of the curiosity is having access to our experiences of wonder, mm-hmm. some of which were in the past. Yeah, please, Robin. Yeah, I was going to say something about curiosity too. Um, for me... Curiosity deepened a lot when I got to sit long retreat. 
because I got beyond superficial curiosity mm. to the point where I was actually really investigating what 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 else can I see? So mm -hmm. kind of really having to dig rather than get through the stuff that mm -hmm. was on the surface and cultivating the skill mm -hmm. in doing that has transferred into daily life in it being impossible to get bored mm -hmm. because in any moment that I'm drifting and you know I I know that that there's um, that there's richness in just in just looking at whatever level I'm at, and also there's really joy in that connection, and that has inspired as the curiosity has deepened. I've come to sort of know the joy in just that moment of intention to look, even if I'm not there for very long. It really is a moment of freedom, and so mm -hmm. that's mm -hmm. kind of kept it going for me. Thanks. Beautiful, Robin. Thank you. Yeah. I was going to say, I think for me, part of my experience is that I, it's, it's a way to do it. There are times in my life where I'm intensely curious, yeah. where my practice has a certain quality and so forth, and then there are times when that falls away. Yeah. Um, so, so there's a moving in and, in and out of that. So mm -hmm. I think it's really about, have, about sustaining it. Sustaining it's it. About, about yeah. I'll just say one thing, further thing briefly. Robin reminded me that um, there, there's a, a quality that's one of the, in, in, Buddhist, uh, in the Buddhist model, it's one of the qualities of an awakened mind, which could be, is usually translated as inquiry. And, that, and, and it's connected with curiosity a lot. It's really wanting to know what's there. And it can actually, you can actually do it in certain technical ways. You can actually really ask the question, okay, what's happening, you know? What's happening is the main inquiry question. <laughs> so, uh, can ask in different ways. It's, but it's really, it's really to try to see what's happening. You can even ask the question, "I'm not curious. What's this about?" Right? You can have curiosity about your non-curiosity. Yeah. And uh, one of them was to stay with the essential. Yeah. And that brought me through. Uh, getting distracted on things in a way that I've never experienced, which was very helpful to me. And the second, um, which was the most surprising, was the part about uh, was to set the intention not to give advice. <laughs> this was in a fa family setting on a on a Sunday, <laughs> and I started in the morning with that, and I found myself almost gagging throughout the day. <laughs> I couldn't believe how much. Uh, advice I gave, I, I was prone to want to give in mm -hmm. a given moment, and I, I saw that that might be a shadow side of some of my practice, that, that it, I wasn't liberated. I was thinking I had this wisdom to impart that I didn't <laughs> So that's a big area. That, 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 is, that is wonderful. How many people here work with intention in some way? And, it's really fundamental, isn't it? And it's really, and it's wonderful to hear you talk about um, having that intention practice be there a lot on a given day. You know, I, I do the same thing. I go to be with my family, intention practice, <laughs> and and I, I love doing. I love it when I remember to do it. I love to do intentions when I go to meetings. What would it be like if you're going to a meeting and you're saying, my intention is to come as much as possible out of my, my mindfulness and my heart during this meeting. And just set that intention 
for one minute before a meeting. And do that a few times during the day. And, keep, and things change, don't they? You know, it, this is, so this is a core practice for daily life uh, development. Having intentions and working with them. You, know, you can do intentions in the morning when you sit. You can do intentions before a given activity. You can, when you're having a meal, you know, you can have a moment of silence before and set your intentions for how you're going to interact uh, either with another person or just on your own for the meal or the person at the restaurant or whatever. You can do an intention before a difficult discussion. And then, of course, it's beautiful when you can have shared intentions with another person or with a group, like I was mentioning with some of the Buddhist Peace Fellowship groups. Yeah, please. As I was listening to people, I realized part of uh, part of what keys me during the day is paying attention to the, the energy. Energy is a stimulus. Mm-hmm. The energy will be, uh, sometimes it'll be confusion, or sometimes it'll be sadness, or sometimes it'll be excitement. Yeah. And when I feel that energy, then the automatic thing that happens to me is, what's that? What is it? What is yeah. it? And that leads me into mindfulness. Yeah. Just, just keying on that energy. Or if there's no energy there, yeah. which also happens, there's yeah. no energy, then I'll say, oh, there's no energy here. It's like, yeah. which is different than calm. It's, yeah. it's, <laughs> something's, something's not, I'm not in touch with something. Yeah. yeah. And um, so sometimes when I find myself in that state, what I'll do is, is recite the Metta Sutta. Yeah. To myself, because what that does then is remind me of my intention, and what always happens when I recite the Metta Sutta to myself is I find out something about myself, something mm. about what's happening now. Yeah, always, because it, it keys into that intention. But it's sort of it's interesting to watch how it's triggered by by the energy state. Mm. So if I'm excited, I almost always say, "Oh, what's that about?" Mm-hmm. It's a very interesting thing that's mm-hmm. happening. Mm-hmm. So it's both, but it's both your own personal energy and the energy in a place. In the place, right? Yeah. Whatever it is, it's, it's, if I can feel it, yeah. Then that that causes me to ask, what is it? And it's very interesting because sometimes I'll find out something. I'm angry. Oh, I didn't <laughs> even know I was angry. So, yeah. No, it's cool. it's wonderful. It's really. It's really a version of the basic mindfulness instructions of be aware of what's predominant. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and some people tune into energy. You know, some people go into a room and you feel, oh, something's a little bit, mm. <laughs> right? And some people can do that. So it's really, um, I mean, these are wonderful. Like, like I said last time, maybe we'll do a compilation of 50 ways to be mindful during the day. Or I remember last time someone said, I just want one. <laughs> yeah. So this will be the last one because we're we're at time. Please. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yes. Well, I, w- I think I would invite you to look again and see whether the present moment is slipping or whether your mind is slipping. No, it's not, it's not that. It's no. more like an awareness of the present moment. Yeah. 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 Yeah.
Yeah. It's like a flow, huh? Yeah. No, I mean, I used to drive my parents crazy when they, I would be like seven years old and I'd sit in the backseat of the car and they'd ask me what time it is. And I'd say, <laughs> I'd say it's, it's um, 10.50, 10.50, 10 seconds. Whoops. 10.50, Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I do, do that for about a minute, and they would say, just, just tell me once. <laughs> so maybe that's, maybe, maybe that. <laughs> but they still love me. <laughs> so, uh, they, no, I think, yeah, I, actually I haven't had a watch since I was 19. So I keep something in my pocket. So, but I don't. I don't want. I don't like things on my wrist. So, <laughs> to do with that moving present. <laughs> so, did that? It's a it's a deep subject. So, I, is that good enough for? Okay, <laughs> good enough for now. No, no, no. <laughs> so, uh, just a, a one announcement before I want to just do a closing uh, setting of intentions and. Um, let's see, two things. One is, I'm going to be, Sylvia's going to be here next week. I'm going to be here in two weeks. Um, I don't have a clear sense whether we should continue on one more time with meditation and mindfulness and daily life. Uh, I'm, I can go either way. How many people would like to do that, to continue with that? How many people would like maybe to move on to another theme? Okay. One at the back. <laughs> uh, how many people would be uh, happy and want to come if we continued one more week on this theme? Okay, is that how many would not? Okay, <laughs> okay, okay. I will. Uh, so this gives. Guess what? This gives a reason to for the next uh, two weeks to really focus on mindfulness and and daily life, what I will do is I will bring in some further uh, twists on this. I won't, I won't just cover the same ground. We'll have a chance to further to compare notes, but I'll bring in some, some different themes that sort of bring, bring out some um, other aspects of it. And the other, the other announcement was for people who were here for the first time, just to know that we work in this class. There's a, there's a class fee, which you're not, in, you're not asked to pay the first time which is, goes to help support sort of the infrastructure of Spirit Rock. And then there's also a basket for, which we call Donna, her generosity, which actually helps, um, helps support my doing this teaching, because we're not, I'm not paid by Spirit Rock or anything. We just do this in a, not in a market way, really, not in a way of you know, exchange. I do this, I get this money. So it's more of a, come, Donna is the word for generosity, and it's really the idea of supporting this ongoing work of teaching and bringing, you know, having, being able to bring us together. So just so you know, and, and I guess it's always good to remember from time to time that that's the, there's a second basket for, for that, which I appreciate a lot because I'm, I'm shifting my life where I'm moving from a, a salary to do more and more of this, which doesn't have a salary. <laughs> and I have a mortgage <laughs> and lots of a salary. <laughs> So anyway, I appreciate that. Um, So let's just sit quietly for a moment.
So if there was something that was uh, touched from the sitting or the talk or the discussion, let that be present. And particularly if there were intentions that come out of the morning about how you might bring more awareness to the middle of your life, the midst of your life. It might be about what really gives you energy, what inspires you to be aware. It might be how you yourselves are creative in understanding what that means for you. What does being, how would I myself talk about being present in a way which really resonates for myself? And it might also be which of those three threads, the body, the heart, the mind in some way, which could include intention in a lot of areas, which of those maybe most appeals to me? And maybe they all appeal um, a lot and there's not a choice, but maybe one of them appeals more and it's something that I can really say, okay, let me, let me energize this thread, so to speak. Let me, let me um, focus on it. So letting the one or two most important intentions that come out of the morning be there. And lastly, we do a dedication of merit. May the fruits of our morning together be shared with all beings, knowing we practice not just for ourselves, but for all beings. May the fruit of the morning be shared with all beings for their healing, their transformation, and their awakening. Thank you.